Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. You're listening to an episode of The Host Show. I am your host, Jasper Rivers, and we release a new episode of this show every single Monday. And in these episodes, I interview Airbnb hosts from all around the world to share their stories and provide tips and tricks on how to get started and be successful as an Airbnb host. Now, this episode is brought to you by Legends X, our 90-day short-term rental accelerator program that's designed to help you skill your hosting business by getting yourself out of the daily operations. So that frees up your time so you can become the CEO of your business instead of the manager and really focus on those higher level tasks that move the needle and allow you to grow. So for more information about Legends X and how to join, visit strlegends.com X. Now let's dive into today's episode. Enjoy the show. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Get paid for your pet. Welcome back. Episode 536 of the Get Paid for Your Pet podcast. Today with my special guest, Jennifer Lawyer. She is the co-founder of Soul SDR, a short-term rental management company that manages hotels, motels, and lock cabins with close to 140 doors. So very sizable. And they are in the Ozark region, which is the first time since I watched the series that I actually speak with somebody who is familiar with this region. So that's one reason I'm excited to chat with Jennifer today. But also Jennifer experienced a very, very challenging situation in one of her motels. And she is she's going to share that story with us. Sounds like kind of a nightmare, but we'll learn all about it. Jennifer, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing your story with us. Sure. I'm happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Would you give us a quick background? I know you're a math tutor and you're now transitioning into fully into the short-term rentals, right? Sure. Yeah. I, so, I, lo- um, I, lo- I love math. Could, could you give me a quick background of, of your story and how you got into short-term rentals? Yeah. So... I've been in education for 22 years, was a teacher in public schools in Los Angeles, and then became a math coach in Nashville, Tennessee, and did professional development for teachers and and loved that work. But my brother-in-law has slowly been working on me over the years to consider short-term rental. And so I started with one log cabin, Smoky Mountains, and then That turned into a property with six log cabins, which then we added or added a a motel in the Ozark. So I finally retired from education and and said goodbye to it. And I'm really going to give short-term rental as a full-time career a go. And I'm really excited about it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And your brother-in-law has been on this podcast as well. Uh, I would have to 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 look up the episode in a minute here so we can share. I'll share it at the end. But he's also one of our legends. He joined our ICR Legends Mastermind. So I know him very well personally. Great guy. And so so shout out to Francisco. Uh, I'll share the episode later. But yeah, so 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 he kind of convinced you to to get into short term rentals. You started with one lock cabin, and how how did it develop into the pretty sizable? portfolio that you have right now? 
Sure. I, and I need to give Franco, my brother-in-law, a lot of credit. He really, I've watched him over the years build his understanding of short-term rental, build, you know, he and my sister Leah, they've kind of just refined over the years their idea of what guests really want. How do you make guests feel really appreciated? How do you make them feel comfortable? How do you please the guests, right? And he also really has a knack for finding properties in these cities that I don't know, most of us probably have never heard of before. He, he just really has a knack for finding properties that are maybe within an hour's drive of a city that's that's very touristy and packed, but are maybe getting too congested. It's too hard to find lodging that's affordable. So he's just got a knack for that. I think picking short-term rentals and what strategy he uses would be worth a whole podcast at another time. But yeah, we started with he encouraged me to take some of my savings and buy this little log cabin in Sevierville, Tennessee in the Smokies, which is right near Gatlinburg, which is a huge popular touristy area in the Smokies, but it's getting too full and people are looking for something, you know, 30 to 40 miles out of that city center. And so the log cabin did really well. My sister has a great eye for just simple design. How do you make a space comfortable and visually appealing to people? And it did really well. And he he's the one who pushes us in the family. So he's like, okay, this is going well. Let's do something bigger. You love log cabins. And I don't know how he got me to do it, but I sold that little log cabin and we found this little town in the Ozarks, 18 acres with six cabins. And so I think it's it was really just a process of growing in confidence, watching and listening to people who've had success and just being a student of those people, which is what I had the privilege of doing with them. And then you just get a passion for it and it keeps growing. So then after the cabins, you know, when your profit and loss sheets look good, investors somehow find you. So an investor found me through Franco and they were interested in the brand or the product that I was offering. And then they wanted to go 50-50 with me on a deal, a motel in the Ozark. So that's the best way for me to just describe the journey to now me being able to walk away from a career that I love to do this full time. So yeah. Yeah. It's very typical. You know, there's there's very few people who one day woke up and thought, you know what, I'm going to build a short-term rental business, right? It's it's almost always, you know, you kind of coincidentally kind of roll into it and see the opportunity, start mm-hmm. enjoying it, and then the rest is history. So I want to go into into the story of of what happened at one of your motels. And I know it must, be, must have been like a very stressful, but can you, yeah, can you tell us what, what happened? Oh, yes. If I could help anyone to maybe learn a lesson, you know, it would be worthwhile sharing the story. So in the Ozarks, this hotel, about 30 days after purchase, and keeping in mind that we passed inspection, you know, you you hire an inspector to inspect the property in escrow, and things looked good. And 30 days later, we had a very serious carbon monoxide leak, where minutes away from potentially having people die at the scene. Um, It was very traumatic. 
luckily, you know, the local, you know, police and EMTs and fire department were there. They were supporting us. And, and thank God, everyone walked away from that and fully recovered. But definitely the trauma from that situation. I was there on site at the time, living there, going through that just for me. And of course, the the guests who were involved, it was really, really traumatic. I think what I would tell people is when you're doing short-term rental and or any kind of rental property and you're responsible for something, you know, just because it passes inspection and things look good, that's not enough information. If I could give people any advice, I would say, Hi, spend the money. Don't be cheap. Have somebody, if you have gas lines running through that property, have them checked by a you know commercially licensed plumber. Have the uh, alarm systems checked, right? In a lot of states, it's not even legally required for people to have carbon monoxide, a certain number of carbon monoxide detectors. Do it anyway. Spend the money. Don't be cheap. Have someone look at your electrical. Just don't trust the inspection that you do typically in the purchase of a property. Going forward, even though it's it's an extra, you know, extra expenditure of money, you want to have that peace of mind to know that you have independent people who have gone over the property with a fine-tooth comb and made sure that it's safe, that you're even doing things that aren't legally required. It's just not worth having something happen. So that's what I would say. Spend the money. You'll sleep better. You're going to feel like you're really taking care of your guests above and beyond. Safety, 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 I would say. The hotel is back open, doing well. We're in slow season now, but we got through it. And I think another lesson I would share was really try to stick with one collection of people that support you in taking care of your properties. If it weren't for those colleagues and friends that I've made in that community, even though I'm not from that community, investing in the people in the community, getting to know them is a really important part of short-term rental. It's like, yes, you may own properties that aren't in your city, but you have to integrate yourself into the community, get to know the people. So yes, we got through it. But wow, I just wouldn't wish it on anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I can totally imagine that must have been extremely stressful. Yeah. But it's but it's important to share these stories because you know, I always feel like these are the type of things that we we don't expect it's gonna happen to us. Right. And yeah. and so, you know, one thing that you mentioned is don't just rely on what you're legally okay. required to do, right? So yeah. I would love to understand a little bit better of like, what can cause this type of event? And what are the actual steps that we can take to prevent this? Like, for example, I know there is, there are, we have carbo monoxide detectors in our units, right? But, you know, that's, that's probably not enough. So what can, what are the action steps to, to make sure that, that this doesn't happen? I think, as I said, the first thing is just hire someone who's commercially licensed and independent to check out the, the the big systems on the property. So the electrical, the gas lines would be the first two. I would say even the third was the foundation of a property. 
That was the one thing we did hire someone to check, but that wasn't a problem. I think the second thing is when you have on commercial properties, these big commercial grade appliances. So when you have these huge dryers, these huge washers, these boilers, these you know, lift station. So when you have big commercially powered appliances, pay someone to come and to go over those with a fine tooth comb as well. It can prevent accidents from happening, number one. And number two, it, you know, during escrow, if you can get someone in there to help you figure out, hey, this boiler, you've only probably got six months of life worth, you know, left in this uh, appliance or... Right. It just helps you be prepared financially for what could happen. So those are some ideas that I have. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's, and should we do this on a regular basis? Like, for example, you know, when you bought this property, this, this accident happened about 30 days after you closed on it. Mm -hmm. Right. So most likely the problem already pre-existed. I can't say, Mm. right. I can't say, but in escrow, just make sure that you don't rely on that generic inspection that is done. Spend the right. money, try to turn over every stone. More than right. likely, you're not going to find anything, but you're going to have peace of mind and it's it's just worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when when Eric and I bought our property up in Idlewild, we hired somebody oh, who yeah. did a very, very good job. But I remember going through the reports and I was like, wow, it was like 20, 30 pages of, you know, he went into every tiny little detail of the property, any any potential, you know, danger all the way to like the height of the railings and like the, you know, the age of certain like, you know, parts of the house. And there, there was so mm-hmm. much detail in that report. I was, it took us hours to like come through it and, and really understand like, wait, and some of the stuff I didn't even know what, what they were talking about. You know, I wasn't yeah. familiar with all the terms and everything. So, you know, going, going, thinking a bit ahead of, you know, you, you purchase a property, like, as you mentioned, it's very important to do that really, really thorough inspection. After that, like, should we be inspecting our homes to that detail? Like maybe every year or every two years? Do you have, do you have any thoughts on that? I, after that accident happened, I met with, the staff and the handyman. And we said, look, and I, I even implemented this on the other property, the log cabin property. What are protocols that we can put in place? So yes, we have protocols about how we want properties cleaned, right? How we want the yard maintained, but let's implement some protocols around safety. So if you're in a commercial zone, the city will kind of do some of that for you. They're going to require that you have your fire extinguishers checked. They're going to, you know, require you to have an alarm system that is connected with, you know, police and fire department. But if you're not in a commercial zone, there really isn't anyone who is going to oversee any of these items around safety. So at the log cabins, like, okay, let's keep those tags marked, make sure that we have calendar reminders set for when those need to be replaced. So replacing and checking the smoke alarms and the battery in the smoke alarms, we're going to do that like every six months now. Things like trimming the trees. So every, you know, maybe every quarter, 
you have someone walk through the property and look for potential limbs that are going to fall. So it's just being proactive and spending the money to implement protocols of safety where you're kind of just trying to be proactive and think ahead about what could go wrong. That definitely changed for me after that accident happened. So I think, again, if you're not in a commercial zone, you really have to take it upon yourself to think about safety and to put on your calendar, make yourself do it and, and ask the feedback and advice of the people who help you maintain or clean the property. What safety issues are you noticing? What, what are your suggestions? Because typically those are the people that have their hands on the property and who probably know it better than you do. So, you know, get their advice too. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, <clears throat> the reason it's so important to share these stories is that in the Netherlands, where I'm from, we have an expression that that's, and I don't know if this is going to make sense in English. So okay. we'll see. <laughs> but it basically, it basically says they drain the well after the cow has drowned. Right. So right. I don't, is there an English expression that's like relates to that? You know, don't wait until it's too late, you know, to exactly. take action. Or I don't know. That's yeah. the only one I can think of. Yeah. Because sure. that's, Typically what happens with these type of situations is disaster happens and then we take action to put in measures into place to prevent it in the future. Right. But until something actually happens, like we just don't really think of it because we don't expect it to happen to us. And I actually experienced something similar this year in 2022 when oh. I was staying at my mom's house and the house got fire. There was fire. Like suddenly I was, sm I smelled something and, and there was a couple of construction workers that were working on the, I say the bathroom. They were, they were installing yeah. a new bathroom. So there was a lot of stuff going on and I smelled something and I was like, man, these construction workers, I don't know what they're doing, but like it's, it's, it's I smell something burning. Right. And so I walked over and I opened the door and I looked at them and I was like, I was like, are you guys burning something or what's going on here? And they looked at me, they looked at me like, no, man, we're just like fixing the tiles, you know? Like, and I was just yeah. like, I don't think this is it. And then eventually, like, I walked into the bedroom that was next to where they were doing the construction and I opened the door and boom, there was a massive amount of smoke just came out. And I was just, so I called the fire department. Fortunately, they, they were there very, very quickly and they were able to put out the fire, like, before, you know, before it escalated. But after that experience, like, I said to my mom, I was like, you know, like, we don't even have smoke detectors. You don't even have smoke detectors in this house, right? Yeah. And, and that's the thing. So, you know, now we installed those and, like, we inspected the whole house and it turned out we had to replace some gas lines and we had to replace some, some other stuff. And it's just crazy. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you just don't think of that until, until something like that actually happens. And you get, fortunately, it was a, kind of like a warning sign. And in your case, too, you know, thank God that, you know, everybody recovered. Yeah. I think it's just really important for us to, you know, with these type of things, like we have to think about what can we do to prevent these yeah. disasters before they happen. Right. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so, yeah, that's why, that's why I appreciate you, you sharing this, you know, are there any other, any other, anything else, like any other learning lessons? One thing that comes to my, my mind is also like, this must've been a very, very stressful event for you. Like, can you tell us a little bit about like, how did you get over that mentally? Like, how did you get yourself in a, in a place where you can continue with the yeah. business? And 
Well, I think the first thing before I talk about the the trauma of it, by that time, I had pretty much exited education. And so if I had still been in my previous career while trying to do short-term rentals and not really being available 110% to care for and manage them, I don't think I could have recovered. And I think all of that investment of money would have been lost and it would have been a disaster. So I think, you know, if you can, even if you have to, you know, live on ramen for a bit, if you're going to do short-term rental on even a, on a larger scale, just be committed to making it your career. Because when things happen, you've got to be able to quickly spring into action and, and manage it. I think for getting over that situation, it made me think about like with short-term rental, especially with a commercial property, a larger property, it's a huge responsibility because people's safety is in your hands, right? And we can't, as I said, you, you know, the city helps you with some of it, but not all of it. Maybe you have a great inspector in town, maybe you don't. So I think it's kind of, it's a, it's a heavy weight. I think I take it very seriously now, having been through that. I think the only thing that got me through was, you know, after that accident, the press was kind of hounding me. It was exhausting. So just leaning on friends. I had a friend leave her child's piano recital and drove all the way to the Ozarks to just take me and get me out of town, right? So those the friends and family that you can lean on. I think if I hadn't had such strong connections and relationships with people in that community, you know, that I didn't, you know, people who helped me care for the property, we'd been to dinner, we'd shared drinks together. They aren't people who, I don't see them as people who work for me. I see them as partners who help me care for a property. So those relationships with people were really important. I think having the faith to see it through, you know, this is not an easy business. And some of my friends even thought, you know, are you being a little reckless? You're great at what you do. You've got this career. But as long as you have the family and friends support and you can see it through, you know, I don't think that it it would be considered reckless. But I think it's, it was really just the support of people in the community, in my family. And as I said, I think another thing is being really networking, learning from people who are doing what you're doing or more than you're doing, like your podcast, listen to these podcasts, go to Facebook seminars, you know, you can learn something from everyone. So I feel like without those mentors and supports, I wouldn't have maybe handled it as maybe effectively as I did. So I think those are the things that come to mind. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you make some really good points. You know, like sometimes it can feel a little lonely as a, as a short term rental operator. And like, mm -hmm. you know, our friends and family don't really understand necessarily what we're doing. And it's, you know, just being able to talk with our peers and relate to each other and, you know, connect with each other is, I think that's very important. So, yes, I'm grateful you're you're sharing this with us. Is there is there anything else that you wanted to share that you think is important around around this topic? No, I feel like we covered you know quite a bit, and and I'm hoping that any of this information is helpful to other people you know who are doing this. And 
I look forward to other people that you're interviewing to learn from them too. But no, I think that was about all I was thinking to say. What's what's the vision for for your business? Because you you guys have several motels, you have log cabins. Where do you see this business going? I mean, you're quitting your you know math teaching yeah. career. So where do you see um, yourself in the next three to five years? I think what we want to focus on is we've had success. So we could say, all right, let's just keep scaling. But I think what we've decided as a you know, my brother-in-law, sister and I, with the collection of our properties together, let's just sit with what we have and really learn more about the finer details in managing multiple properties. We, as I said, when you introduced my brother-in-law, sister and I are co-founding a company called Solster. So we wanted to create a management company. And this is kind of what we're doing next. It's how do we care for and really identify our brand, right? So why have we been successful? What's working? And so we hired a company out of Cali, Colombia called Milpa Brand Kitting. So like branding, marketing, and they interviewed us, kind of asked us, what is it that you do for guests? What is it that you provide people in a short-term rental experience? What are your values? What's important to you? And they really helped us. I would recommend them to anyone. They really helped us to articulate and create kind of a brand around what it is that we're doing. So how do we effectively manage all of these properties with the same level of customer care? When we have, by the end of next year, 140 keys all across the United States. So my properties are in the Ozarks, but they have Hot Springs and Bangor, Maine. And, you know, there's one in Massachusetts. But how do we keep a high level of customer care with so many keys? So part of the management company is how do we bring in friends, right, or people that want to work with us to message guests? When Leah and Franco are doing homework and dinner with their kids, you know, how do we go on a family vacation and still be there for guests? Because we like to answer inquiries within two minutes. If we haven't answered within two minutes, for us, that's just a failure, right? So we're trying to build a management company around our brand to continue to provide that level of that high level of experience and customer care. So that's kind of what we're excited about is how do you take what you built and create this brand around it? Yeah, so I hope that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Could you name that company again? Yes, Milpa. So it's M-I-L-P-A, and it's Milpa Brand Kitting, like branding, marketing, put together brand kitting. And I was so impressed with them and what they've put together for us. I think they even helped us to understand why we've been successful. It's almost like going to a therapist. It's like you talk (laughs) and you talk and talk about your issues, what's important to you. And then they kind of walk away and, and, and synthesize it and help you to identify, okay, this is actually who you are. So it was really a cool experience, Um, but they're out of Cali in Colombia. They were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, and I'm sure they're, you know, working with a company from Colombia is probably more affordable than with a local company, I imagine. Well, I had never heard of them before. They are Franco's cousins. Mm. 
And we didn't know what we didn't know. I didn't know them very well. Franco did. But he gave them the opportunity and they were amazing. You That's know? Awesome. So we got family yeah. discount. So I, I can't say I don't know about the rates, but fantastic. Yeah. 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 I'm f- very familiar with Kali. I was actually there a couple months ago as I have a unit oh, really? there. I have an Airbnb yeah. there that I, I'd like to stay at my own Airbnb sometimes. So um, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, if you ever got the chance to visit Kali, then let me know. I was supposed to go I'll, this I'll year. I'll give you a family uh, and friends discount too. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And Franco has his family there, right? So we got more. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Discounts. But- awesome. Well, I promised I would look up the episodes that your brother-in-law did with me. And it's actually episode number 468. And the title is How to Buy Rundown Motels and Convert Them into Airbnbs. So if you want to check out Jennifer's brother-in-law and the business partner, check out episode 468. All right. Well, with that, Jennifer, I want to thank you for, for joining the show here. And very happy to hear that this traumatic event that it turned out well, everybody recovered. And I think it's, as I said, I think it's really important to share these stories so that we can, we can prevent one similar event in the future. And that's totally yes. worth it. So I yeah. appreciate, appreciate your time. And yeah, maybe in the future we'll get together in Cali. Oh, that'd be wonderful. We'll share tequila. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Thanks. Jasper. Thanks. Thanks. For thanks Jennifer. Me Thanks for everybody who is listening. And of course, on Friday, we'll be back with another episode. So have a great week and see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Get Paid for Your Pad, the number one podcast for Airbnb hosts and short-term rental professionals. We really hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about hosting on Airbnb and building a short-term rental business, then go ahead and subscribe to our daily email newsletter at getpaidforyourpad.com. And if you're just starting out on Airbnb, make sure to download our free Airbnb starter guide at getpaidforyourpad.com forward slash get started. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts for a chance to win lifetime access to the Short-Term Rental Profit Academy, our starter course for anybody who wants to start an Airbnb business. Every month we select one random reviewer and give that person access to the course. Um, So if you want to have a chance to win access to the course, uh, please leave us a review and then uh, you might uh, join our program pretty soon. So thank you for listening. Check back every Monday for a new episode of The Host Show and every Friday for an episode of SDR Conversations of the Get Paid for Your Pad podcast. Get paid for your pad, get paid.